right. Hey, everybody. Alex Shaw here with your Risk Matters podcast. And today on the, uh, on the line, we've got John Anderson with ICS and the, uh, the mainstay, the, 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 the star of the show, um, as always, Jimbo Redmond. How are you guys? I'm good. I'm just honored to have the most detailed man in the business on the line with us, the guy who nothing gets by, who's always ready. Uh, flawless uh, preparation and execution, uh, Johnny Anderson. Yeah, my, my style would be just the opposite of yours, without a doubt. <laughs> and now that you set the expectation, Jimbo, for flawless execution, um, the, the audience should know that, you know, we, we tend to record these shooting from the hip, and, and John, as Jimbo mentioned, is a, a very, you know, comes prepared to the table, and so John, thanks for stepping into the arena and and playing a little bit of the game of of guess who today. Um, we, we we appreciate it. So yeah, no, thanks for having me. So um, maybe before we get into, uh, we took a little bit of this framework with uh, with Josh Soto from Mickey Truck Bodies the other day, and I thought it was kind of a, a good way to frame things up. Was let's talk about John Anderson, and then we can talk about segue into whatever else we want to talk about. So. Um, you've been with ICS for, is it 15, 16 years or so? Maybe tell folks about ICS, about yourself and, um, and your role there and where you're based out of. Yes, I have been with ICS for 15 years. And we're, we're actually, we're based out of uh, Des Moines, Iowa, technically Waukee, Iowa, but, but Des Moines close enough. And ICS has been around for, for 20 years. We're a captive consultant. So I've been there for 15 of the 20. And I'm, uh, I do risk management. And, and prior to being with ICS, I actually came out of the industry. So I, I was in healthcare as well as manufacturing. I spent 15 years in the industry. So I've been doing this a total of, of 30 years and, and it's kind of rare, but it's actually what I went to school for as well. And I've always done risk management, human resources. And 15 years ago, I made the move into insurance and it's not the type of thing I ever thought I'd do, nor was it what I set out to do. It just kind of happened. And uh, I've, I've been ahead of for the last 15 with, uh, with ICS. Yeah, so how did um, Jimbo, and maybe you've got, you probably both have context for this. How did Scott and ICS get engaged, you know, several, several years back? Well, I think uh, Scott was interested in, in um, captives and had started to play around a little bit in that pond and actually had initially gone right, right to the domiciles in, in Bermuda um, and, and set up. A, a captive and so we went out and told people we had captives but we didn't really know <laughs> what we were doing um, except to say that we had a captive and after a year or two of recognizing that it wasn't as simple as just having a captive but actually having a partner who um, could manage it and oversee the day-to-day -day operations of it um, we didn't really didn't have anything and so um, I think Walker Sidner, our former president, uh, started making some phone calls and, and started a relationship with um, ICS, which uh, was just in their in early stages, having uh, bred out of uh, another agency out in the Midwest. Hmm. Okay. So, John, a little bit back to to you. You mentioned coming from industry. Um, what? What exactly does your role entail? I mean, you quarterback a lot of captive groups in, in, in a team, and so maybe bake out a little bit deeper what that looks like and, and what the day-to-day -day of, of John Anderson looks like and with who. 
Well, today, obviously, it looks a little different than what it did a couple of months ago, but we, we've got currently 17 uh, group captives, and, and we're looking at starting more. And within those 17 groups, we've got over 500 different you know, companies throughout the U.S., which obviously a lot of them are, are clients of Scott Insurance. But with over 500 companies across the, the U.S. and those 17 groups, we're, uh, I mean, a, a lot of what we're doing when is obviously we, we manage that group as a whole and we're looking at the trends, the data and what's going on. But really a lot of what I look at is, is we're working with the people in the captive group. As you guys know, the, the members, they're the owners, they own it. We're there to, to facilitate, you know, the workshops, the education, the networking. And, it, and it's all about working with the people that are in the captive and getting them to come together to network and share their thoughts, their ideas. And I, I think that's one of the best one of the biggest benefits to being in the captive group. I mean, you can look at the data and stuff all day, but, but really what it comes down to is, is what's really going on out there. What, what does work, what doesn't. And that's what the members bring to the table. And really I look at it as that's, that's one of the most valuable things. We bring them together, they network, share a lot of different things back and forth. And it's amazing you know, what you hear out there. There's really, really not a right or a wrong. Some things work better than others. What, what do you, John, you like to, uh, I know you like to say that um, sometimes a lot of companies that are thinking about getting into a captive and maybe advancing their risk management platform to really leverage the vehicle to, you know, turn a profit on their risk. Um, some of them are, are sort of stuck in the seventies, you like to say. <laughs> so tell us, tell us about what a seventies style risk management uh, looks like. Well, Jimbo, you know, you and I really, when it comes down to it, have probably been in this for about the same length of time when you're, you're talking about risk management. And, and, and I do like to use the reference when you're talking about compliance-based organizations, kind of, you know, safety out of the 70s and the 80s. And actually, it was the, the late 80s is when I went to college. And, and you look back at, at the program when I was in the safety engineering program at Iowa State, it, it was all driven compliance-based. You know, a lot of industrial hygiene and, and compliance-based issues, it was all based around OSHA. And not saying that that's not important. I mean, the regulations are important. They're obviously there for a reason. But society has changed so much over the last 30 years. And if I look back when I was in industry and how we did things back then, and then I look at how we're doing things now, it's, it's totally different. And, and if you don't change with it, you're going to die. And, and I just think that, you know, back if you look 30 years ago, what would you do? You put rules into place, policies, procedures told the employees we had to do it, you know, it's required by OSHA, which today, you know, it's not the, the approach you necessarily want to take. And like I said, there's not a right or a wrong. You've got a lot of different cultures out there. But really today, and you look at the new generations that are coming up, and if you look at it for the first time, we've, we've got up to like five different generations in the workforce. A lot of those guys aren't going to respond to, oh, we have to do it because OSHA states we've got to. I mean, it's all about everybody working together. And, and really, truly, why are we doing this? And, and really what it comes down to is you care about your people and you want them to go home at the end of the day. And, and that's, that's really what things are based around today versus, you know, the, the, the compliance-based aspect. And, and I don't want anybody to misunderstand that. The regulations are important. We do need to comply with them. But to me, you know, back 30 years ago, you had to have the book and you had to read through the book to get the regulations. Today, those are readily available on the Internet. Anybody can get access to those and read them. But it, it's, you know, that, that's kind of like the, the 101, right? So when, when a company comes into a captive, we assume, that, we assume that they've got that part under control. So did you like read OSHA books in college? Is that what your curriculum was? 
Um, no, not, not, not necessarily. I've, I've never been a big compliance-based guy, and I've never been a big reader. Uh, and I know that kind of sounds foolish, but especially with back then with everything being driven by regulations, but I, I've never been real big on, on regulatory requirement. Well, what, what changed your view of, of, of risk management? And some people like to use the term safety. What you obviously changed, because I, I know a lot of people, and I'm not going to point any fingers, but I know a lot of people that they grew up in the same generation we did and, and getting them to, to focus on, you know, the workers as the solution and, and, you know, really the why behind the what and, you know, all these things that we're talking about. It's hard to, to, to train an old dog new tricks. What, what, what flipped that switch for you? You know, I, I actually, and I'll try to keep this relatively short, but I'll, I'll go back to when I was in college. And I remember we had a guy in our program, he was doing an internship. And he comes back from his internship, and it was in a manufacturing company here in Iowa. And, and, and the guy was just beside himself. He's like, you know, I'd walk through the plant, people would just look at me, you know, like I was the safety cop and, and just, you know, the, the negative vibes that you'd get from employees. And, and I've never been like that. I mean, looking back, were there times like that? Absolutely. But, but I've always been one more to, to socialize with the people. Well, if you kind of fast forward a little bit towards the latter part of when I was in, in, in industry, things were changing a lot then. And, you know, back then it was starting out with the, the concept of behavior-based safety, which, which really became overutilized back then. But that's, that's where a lot of it started. And, and that started tying into the people and, and what the people were doing. But then really when the switch came on for me, it was probably 12 or 13 years ago when we started working with Todd Conklin. And he's been to, to all of our mature groups, you know, three, three different times. We're looking at a fourth program with him. And, and Todd's got a gift. I mean, he definitely um, has a different way of looking at things. And, and that's really what, what got my thinking going down that road. And hearing Todd a number of times, every time you hear him, you're, you're learning something new. And, and as you guys know, Todd's not about, you know, what he's saying, we're at a place where more rules isn't necessarily going to make a, a positive difference at this point in time. And it's, it's more about, you know, why are people doing the things that they're doing? So it, really the shift, I think, started 12 or 13 years ago. But, but the other part of that, and where I kind of finish that answer, is if you go back to the workshops that we do for the captive groups, and I remember doing them the first couple of years, and, and I don't want to say dry, but, but, you know, some of the subject matter, you look back at the agendas 15, 16 years ago versus what we're doing now, and in some of the, the content was dry. And I thought, man, if, if, if we expect people to show up, then it, it's got to be somewhat entertaining and somewhat interesting. And when you look at people like Todd and some of the other individuals that we brought in, you know, to our, our captive workshops, it, it's really increased our attendance. It's pulled different people in, and, and it's not just regulatory. It, it's you know, it's that human element, and it's about about culture, which culture's an overused term, but but it is, and that, that's a lot of what we're driving. And it seems that uh, captive members have a larger interest in that as well. Yeah, so I think about, you know, one of the, when we talk about some of the compliance elements, it, it makes me think that, you know, I think of, you know, companies like Moore's Electric, who they, they build a, a pretty incredible um, recruiting, hiring, retaining, onboarding program. And I can say with confidence that you could give their whole program to another company. And if they were avoid the culture and, and really the genuine care and, and interest in 
um, why they developed that whole program, the, the, the program would kind of would fail. Um, you know, you can't just take the blueprint and parlay that over in and, and mechanically run through it and expect to get the same results. You know, I think that the, these, these, these captive groups are interesting because we'll say culture eats process for breakfast, right? And, and how you go about managing risk really, really matters. And how you highlight that as a point of emphasis to employees um, has to be represented in, in actions that are observable. Um, and I think one of the strengths of the captive is you talk about culture with these individual organizations, but one of the things that's kind of captured my attention over the years with the captive in particular is, is you get dozens of like-minded, relatively speaking, organizations who all raise each other's ships. Um, and there's a tremendous strength in that, a tremendous amount of learning that comes from that. And, and I, I've often wondered, where does that come from? Because it, for ICS, for you, kind of to Jimbo's point, at any given moment, that could have taken a different path. You know, it could have gone down the path of far more kind of compliance-oriented, uh, behavior-based safety. And yet, it sounds like a lot of that direction came from um, interacting with Todd Conklin. So how did you guys get engaged with him? Because that seems like a pretty critical pivot in, in the life cycle of, of ICS to kind of go down that direction of, of leading members um, in, in, that, in that vein? You know, it, it actually, it was. And, and going back to that time, we were referred to him by one of our captive group members out of our Four Corners construction group, who was a new group at that point in time. So they were the first group to see him, and it was a hit. So we started taking him to other groups, and, and it was amazing of how you know, it changed just, just how the audience responded, how they were engaged, and, and people really responded favorably to it. And he's still one of our most, you know, requested speakers. Even after a group's seen him three times, they want to have him back. And, and he's always got new material. I mean, things are, are ever changing. And, and once we've seen that, and as you guys know, there's a lot of different players involved here. We've got members, you know, we've got agencies like Scott Insurance, obviously us and the captive consultant. A lot of different people involved and when, and when you start start gathering up over 500 members and all the agency partners there are a lot of different recommendations that come forth and so that that kind of started that ball rolling and, and what we try to do is you know periodically throughout the year we go out and we vet different speakers different educators and you know some some are better than others you know some maybe don't work out like we we wanted them to but i think we've really brought a lot of good ones in over the years and just seeing the numbers and how people respond to that versus when you're talking a compliance-based item, and, and no offense, but if we were, uh, if if, we, if our workshops were regulatory-driven, I, I probably wouldn't still be here. Um, a lot of us wouldn't because it'd, it'd just be difficult to sit through. And like I said, that's stuff that's been around forever, and, and you've got stuff out there all over the place where you can get that. We're trying to bring, bring you know different things to the table. Yeah. So I think one of the one of the pieces of, of compliance that's I mean, I, I'm, I'm of the mind that it's incredibly valuable and important. You know, you got to be in compliance to be in business, but you're not in the compliance business, if, if you want to say that. And, and while there are letters of interpretation that come through, I think much of compliance is relatively speaking black and white, whereas culture is anything but. Culture demands a curiosity and innovation and, and forward thinking that can only be, 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 be you know, spurred by um, be created by leveraging as many members and as many groups as you've got. And, 
one of the things that keeps things interesting and keeps us curious is the amount of learning that we're exposed to um, through what have transitioned in just a short period of time um, from these kind of large loss calls and, and into these event learning calls. And so what, what are some of the things that, I guess, as we've transi transitioned over the years into more of a, hey, let's stop talking about the life of a claim um, and let's start learning more about the context around these events. I mean, what are some of the things that kind of thematically you've, you've observed as, as clients have shared and learned during those calls? You know, if you go back in the beginning, what, what did we always hear on the calls? And I'm, and I'm not referring to just generations group, but if we look across, you know, all captive groups, what would we hear on those calls? If you go back to the beginning, the adjuster, you know, the, the adjuster who was adjudicating the claim participated in the call. And typically the, the member would really look to them to share, hey, what's going on in, on the claim? And it, it really became more of a claim review. And, and more often than not, either the employee did something wrong or it was fraudulent. And as we, you know, as we started to work with people like Todd and that, it became very evident that, you know, hey, this isn't the path we wanted to go down. And I remember when we first removed the adjusters from participating in those calls, they, they were happy to get out of the calls. Um, but members, you know, it, it was a tough adjustment for them because they were really leaning on, on those adjusters. And believe it or not, here we are, what, 15 years later, and you guys know within Generations Group, they, they do a fantastic job. And if you look at some of the events that we've discussed, they don't even talk about the injury. You know, was it a shoulder? Was it a back? You don't even know. You know, we're talking about the incident and what happened and what we can learn from it. And, but believe it or not, even today, we still have some numbers that go back to that, you know, it was fraudulent or, you know, the employee, um, they need to work, you know, more safely. And that's what I refer to as, as safety of the 70s and the 80s. You know, we're beyond those times. And, and we've got a lot of members that have really stepped up and they do a great job of looking at the incident and what can we do different as an organization instead of blaming the employee and what they did wrong. What is it, what is it as an organization that we can change that will prevent that from, from happening? Well, I think all of our, you know, all of our roles really have, have evolved to become one of really challenging our clients to think differently um, because, you know, I say it all the time and I, and I believe it, we can't possibly expect organizations to act differently if they don't think differently and they don't believe in that difference. And one of the things I love about the captive is, is that's really a conversation starter for different. Um, just this is a whole new idea a whole new way to think about risk and granted that's on the finance side of the equation but I think when you start to think about that and you go now all of a sudden we're thinking about it differently because our motivations are different and all of a sudden we're much more receptive to how can uh, our employees be a part of this process how can we learn from them how can we learn from events and even welcome things like hearing about near misses and as Todd says, small signal events to um, better dig deeper and understand our organization and all the competing interests that exist within it um, versus just sort of cause and effect. Yeah, to me, I think it, you know, it's, there's so many, so many, so many corollaries that they come with being kind of a forward thinking client and being in a captive and, 
And one of the things that I really like to think about is, and you guys have all heard and talked about it, is renting versus owning. And if you're renting, it doesn't really matter if you're putting the right fuel in the engine. It, you know, it's not a long-term investment. It's, you can kind of fiddle with it, maybe change the oil out occasionally, but you're not really driving it at managing the long-term risk that, that the, the vehicle is exposed to. It, the captive um, members are, are, are owning. And so we have to completely divorce ourselves from, from or at least work towards uh, managing you know, just perceived risk into managing true risk. And, and in order to manage true risk, as Conklin often says, we've got to get to the tip of the spear and, and leverage our employees as an asset um, and, and as a part of the solution in, in, instead of a part of the problem. And to that end, I look at the evolution of the event learning calls um, even since I've been engaged with them where you've got, and I can speak to the clients I work with, like Michael Lanham from James River Equipment and Shalomith Gonzalez from RE Lee companies who um, have been outside of these event learning calls for events that are happening, consistently putting learning teams together with the presidents of their company, with the vice presidents, with the project managers, the superintendents, the injured employees, other employees in that role, and making the space as as Chad Hymas says, to just get awkward and, and have a conversation that frankly is really clunky. Um, and, and we'll have Shalomith and, and Arlie and Lee from RE Lee companies on, I, I believe next week, but, um, and we'll talk a little bit about that process, but man, it is awkward to have those conversations and very easy to say, you know, to Jimbo's comment a minute ago, you got to change the way you, you know, people think before you can change the way they act. And, and just to justify sitting around for two hours, three hours to talk through an incident, that's a tall, tall order. Um, and, and one of the things that I think sometimes I take for granted, you know, when, when you engage with maybe someone who's not as captive or owning, uh, doesn't have such an ownership mentality towards risk. I mean, is that, what do you guys see? I mean, today in the landscape, I guess new clients get brought on board. Um, but, but John, maybe for you, what percent would you say of most of the groups are, are really, because I'd say we're, we're not quite there yet, but are really leaning into taking the time and doing event learnings outside of these calls? Do you have a sense for, for that? Um, you know, it's, it's really, it's all over the board. And, and we like to say, you know, there's not a right, there's not a wrong. We've got some that are a little more compliance-based, some that are, you know, a little more of a learning organization. We try to say there's not a right or a wrong because not a, I don't think there's any two companies out there that are going to have the same culture. And you, you touched on it, Alex. You know, you look at what Moore's is doing. You take that, you try to implement it in a, in a lot of other, you know, companies and it's going to fail because it's just not made for them. But go back to the beginning. How many times on an incident report would you see the words, be more careful? Employee needs to be more careful. Not paying attention. Oh, I know. <laughs> I remember hurt, that. You probably needed to be more careful. Yeah, I remember that all the time and it would just drive me nuts. You know, supervisor would, would put that down and, and then you look at it, you know, how many times, and I'm even guilty of this, but at the time you weren't really guilty because it, it was the way things went. You know, you discipline an employee for doing something that they shouldn't have done. And I'm not saying that there aren't bad apples out there that you need to clean out, but you know, the common saying is no, nobody wakes up in the morning saying, Hey, I'm going to go to work and, and get hurt today. And, when you, when you look across our captive groups, going back to your question, it is all over the board. Stuntmen, Mike. We, we can take a, a group, in generations, I think, is a little further along than what a lot of our other groups are, but you, you can take a group 
and, and they could just knock it out of the park on one call. Next quarter we have a call and it's almost like we're back to square one. Yeah. And I think a lot of it does come down to, you know, who's the member that had the incident? What's their culture like? But even, even not only that, but who's the consultant that's working with them? You know, what are their viewpoints as well? You know, one of the things I noticed, Alex, that, um, that um, and John, maybe you noticed this as well, but um, one of the things as we started to have these sessions with clients off the calls and looking at individual incidents, all of a sudden we'd find ourselves in a room with people that um, we didn't know. Um, and so we're dealing with the, with the uh, parts manager and we've got the uh, fleet manager and we've got the um, yard manager and, and we've got this line employee and we've got all these sort of different people that, that typically have not been in a risk management purview um, that's now engaging and we're learning all sorts of things about a company and creating relationships with people that typically we wouldn't have. And so I just think it, you know, that, that speaks to the nature of everybody having a role within an organization to make it successful and not that it falls on, you know, a, a safety director to, to make it all happen. And I think that's one of the big shifts away from, you know, the old way as well, which is that, as, as Todd says, the lines between operations and safety are, are blurred in the best organizations. You know, Alex, and, and, and you touched on it too. We're, we're, yeah, we're not there and we're never going to be there, right? It's about continuous improvement. You're, you're never there. Um, there's always room for improvement. But one other thing I would say on it is if you look at Generations Group and their event learning calls, and, and once again, some are better than others, but that group's gotten to the point to where so many people have done a great job and have backed it out of the park when they present on an event with, with really drilling down to things that they can do as an organization to get better that I, I think that's just really spread through the group for now there, there's a lot of consistency because if, if you don't fall in line with that and, and you're playing the blame game, when you get on there, you're really going to stick out. And I think everybody else has noticed that. And uh, you know, everybody's kind of fallen in line and, and it's, it's taken a long time to get there. Like I said, we're never going to completely be there, but it is a continuous process. And that's, that's a group I think that's done really well with it. Yeah. And I think that I love that about it because it, there's a, their generations has its own culture that's that's propelling each client each member forward and but I, I am reminded you know constantly that that look I mean anytime an event learning process comes up um, it, it's interesting to to observe how I respond to it based off of my initial instinct to you know reaction to the event whether it's interesting whether it's not interesting whether I perceive there's really something we can learn from it um, whether there's just a, an incurred cost that's associated with it, that, that that's why it's on, but it's really other than that, not a lot of complexity to it. Um, so I know if I'm feeling it, I, I know members feel it. And I think that's the strength in the group. It's just the ability to con continue to encourage each other, to, to hold each other accountable for, uh, for digging deep into these, recognizing that, look, a lot of event learnings you're gonna go to, and you might take away one thing that's interesting um, or that you can actually learn from. but but it's about managing your risk in the aggregate. And if you, if you string enough of these event learnings together, the resiliency of your organization is gonna be so much greater than if you just shied away from pursuing any of these, um, these learnings. Um, and so the, the, to Jimbo's kind of point that, that I think almost 
you know, we, you've probably heard me say, and folks have probably heard it, we tend to overvalue the things we can measure and undervalue the things we can't. Jimbo's comment a minute ago about all the people you get in the room, I don't know really how to capture it in words, the feeling you get. It just feels good. It's, it's kind of one of those, some of the best things in life are uncomfortable and awkward to do, but once you get through them with people, like this podcast, right? Like anytime we record with somebody, there's a little anxiety on the front end, a little trepidation. Then we make it outside, out the back end, and, and, and nothing has gone cataclysmically wrong, and we feel closer for it, right? And I think those event learnings are, are very much the same, and, and that kind of experience, I think, brings organizations, employees, leadership, management together and unified in a way that you can't quite measure, but certainly justifies the expense of the time. Um, and, and I just, I find the, the captive group to be incredibly encouraging because, because you're operating with other like-minded uh, peers who are also driving forward and, and, and doing the hard work of, of owning their risk, um, the true risk to the best of the degree that they can. So John, um, we have a little thing we call target one at Scott that we promote with our clients to, to get them focused, to really get them rallied around you know, a cause or an initiative, just an area of focus that can help propel them to sort of the next phase or the next step and the next progression. And I'd be interested from your standpoint, seeing all the landscape of the 500 accounts that, that you see, um, you know, what, what would be the one thing that you've seen that has propelled those organizations the most um, over the years? Just to, just to put you on the spot. I was going to say, you're putting me on the spot. Uh, and I, I, don't, I don't think there's any one thing. And it's going to be kind of a generic answer. And if it's too generic for you, let me know. I'll try to, to drill down on it a little bit more. But it comes down to the people. I mean, it really does. It comes down to the people. And it comes down to the relationship between the employees and, and management. And the one thing that, that, that really is probably most rewarding for me when you see these captive uh, groups get together, is when you've got the owner, and it doesn't even have to necessarily be the owner, but you know somebody within the, the member company, and, and they're talking about something that they did within their culture that, that really connected with the employees. You know, the things where they, they make it about the employee and, and not about the company. And, and it's those that really, truly take the approach and demonstrate the approach that, you know, our goal is when you go home at the end of the day, yeah, we want you to go home to your family. You know, there's, there, we don't want an incident to occur on our watch. And, and that's, to, to me, the, the one thing that you really need to drill down about is, you know, make it about the employee, make it personal to them. And, and you hear about safety. And, and once again, you know, you go back a number of years ago, what would happen when you had a, a a safety meeting with your uh, workers, you'd, you'd tell them, here's a number of recordables we've had. Here's how much it's cost us. You know, you're throwing out the dollars. Well, looking back, what we learned is that by talking about the dollars, you're, you're really telling the employee that what matters is the profit. And I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, hey, safety's top priority. I think safety and productivity are equal. You got to have them both and, and they feed off of one another. But those companies that have really, you know, taken the dollars out of it, and now they're making it personal. And now the employee can connect it to, you know, it doesn't matter if it's their dog, their wife, their, their children, or whatever, 
but there's, there's a reason that they're going to work. And if you can make it personal and the companies that have done that are the ones where we've really seen great things happen. We call it QOL quality of life. And mm -hmm. exactly. that's uh, well, well said. And I think, you know, it's, it's easy to say, um, and it's easy to believe, I think, um, but it's, it's harder to do in a way that that's received in a manner that people go, I'm in the right place. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think kind of to round this out, you know, one of the things I've heard over the years is trust is born over time and consistency. And, and it's so rare that there's a, a big silver bullet kind of this watershed moment where people go, you know what, this is the place for me. I think it's more represented in these small, subtle cues and touch points and check-ins that leadership and management engages employees on on a consistent basis over time that breeds trust that the organization has their best interests at heart. Um, and, and to me, there's so, many, um, there's so many areas where that just propels an organization forward culturally from an absenteeism perspective, turnover, um, you know, injuries, you name it. I think those things, if you get the, the small things right with the, the little touch points and engagements with employees, those are the observable and kind of feel things that are hard to measure, but that, that really are the stickiness that, that hold culture, cultures and organizations together. So, um, John, thank you for, uh, thanks for taking the time. I know, I know you, uh, you're, you're in a new kind of paradigm trying to do your job in a way that, you know, typically involves a tremendous amount of travel and planning and coordinating. And now you're, you're kind of, and, and and this is the furthest we've traveled for a podcast in, in our whole library. So you ought to <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you know, it, it kind of is what it is. And, and we've just got to adapt to the times that are in front of us. And at the beginning, you know, Jimbo was talking about how I'm organized, which is true. I am. I'm very organized. And um, but at the same time, we cannot be so rigid that we're not able to adapt and change with times. And, and you've got to change as times change. And you know, as this whole thing goes on and we can't travel right now, you've just, you've got to adapt and you've got to look, you know, if, if we can't travel and do a workshop, then we've got to discover other things that we're going to do through Zoom and WebEx and that to, to bring value and, and to continue forward. And it's, uh, so even though I'm organized, I'm not so rigid that, uh, that I'm not able to, to change as, as times change. All complimentary. Yeah. <laughs> but now thanks for having me guys definitely appreciate it i know we've talked about it for a while so it's it's good to finally get this done yeah we appreciate it john and and um and thanks for being flexible good to spend time speaking with you jimbo good to see you and and to talk with you as well and to the folks who tuned in we appreciate it um look forward to uh catching you all on the next go and john and jimbo if you want to hang on the line i'm going to press stop on the record button and we will catch you guys next time until then Take care.